welcome back to the Stride Project, where we strive for lives. Today, we have a good friend of mine and client, David Niemi. Welcome back to the podcast, you guys. This is podcast number nine, and today is truly special as we welcome our amazing guest, my client and friend, David Niemi. David has spent his entire career trying to fix the education in the U.S., His unwavering commitment to education reform is nothing short of inspiring from earning an MA at Harvard to co-founding a computer education company, leading impactful research projects to publishing about 80 articles and presenting around the world. I mean, like I have a whole nother list, but, and currently David is consulting with people who are trying to build research-based online courses, and he's writing a book on why people believe what they believe. He has a lovely wife who I've met, I love her, and a daughter. And um, in the fall of 2021, David confronted a life-altering challenge. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Yet here he is, resilient and ready to share his story. So David, we're incredibly grateful to have you on our show. Your journey is a testament to strength and hope. Welcome. Thank you so much. And it's just such a nice thing to be able to talk with both of you. One of the things I learned early on about getting cancer. I mean, initially it's kind of a really lonely feeling, Mm. you know? Um, So to me, just talking to people about it helped a lot. And I kind of found, found out that um, talking to, you know, almost anybody who'll listen and pay attention and whatever helps. So this is great to have two people who actually are interested (laughs) in hearing the story. Yeah. You know, I love that you brought that up because, um, I know I want to hear more about kind of what you did in the past, but you kind of jumped into the cancer part. Um, but real quick, I know that you're a big part of um, a, a foundation that you go to. What, what's it called, David? I know it's here in Santa Clarita. Oh, you mean the um, cancer support group? Yes, cancer support group. And I know there you do, um, I don't know if it's technically considered counseling, but you have groups that you go into and you guys talk and share yeah there's one um a local one here which i think you're referring to yeah. a circle of hope right. in the city of new hall and um they really were started by two women who had breast cancer and so originally the group just focused on that but now it's kind of open for support to anybody with any any kind of cancer um so that's been great to go to they have a they run a support group which is basically a talk thing right but they also offer a lot of free classes, um, and I've, I've been doing some of those just to kind of find out, like, what is Reiki like? And, yeah. Um, what is, what's it called? Qigong, I guess. Qigong, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Things I hadn't, and because right now I'm into the mode of just kind of trying anything to see what will help me feel better or get better. Yeah. So they've been good for that. Um, and then just as a side thing, uh, I, I was went to one of their um, support groups where I was on Zoom and they were all in a room together. And there were no other people there except me and about five of their staff. And they spent the whole hour just saying really nice things about me. <laughs> and that, that was one of the greatest things. I, I, you know, afterward, I was just thinking, everybody needs a group they could call where, you know, all the people would just say nice things about you. Seriously. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, whenever I've, you know, found that happening and, you know, it comes from doctors and my wife, that is really just one of the best treatments to me mm-hmm. because you just feel so down, down about yourself, not sure how you're going to heal. And 
so on. So it's just great to have other people saying almost anything nice about you. And of course, you have done that too, Rebecca, (laughs) occasionally in our um, sessions. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to keep diving into this, but let's talk a little bit about what, I mean, you just have such an extensive IO. Um, I didn't even get to write every, I mean, say everything that you, you've done um, in the education system, but maybe just talk a little bit about um, what you did and now, like what you're currently doing. Okay. Um, yeah, I've kind of uh, somehow got the idea when I was in college, and I started being a troublemaker there, just hmm. kind of question, questioning how courses were being taught. He is a troublemaker. I was <laughs> writing for the student newspaper and making you know professors mad because I would actually comment on their classes and doing kind of what you can find on the internet all the time now. People complaining about the, you know it's rate my professor kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So I started doing that, not so much trying to attack the professors, but just the the whole method of teaching, which was basically uh, read and memorize a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and then, you know, then spew it back on the test and immediately forget all of it, mm. um, which that's is really me. useful. And but that's, <laughs> that's everybody. Seriously. Um, yeah. I mean, some people have better memories than other people. So and, and I did have a good memory for facts, but I just felt like, this. you know, if I think back on all the history classes I had. I'd probably say I maybe remember about at best 5% yeah. of what I actually learned supposedly at some time. So I had this feeling and thought, well, you know, maybe I can actually help do something about it. Um, so, you know, I decided to become a teacher and got a master's, got the master's from Harvard, started out as a high school English teacher, which I did for one year. Um, and then I did a bunch of other things. Started a private elementary school with some parents who were just unhappy with the public schools. Yeah. And we had a great time. The kids just loved coming to the school, which was one of the things. But That's so you know, cool. I was I really. I don't work- see that these days. <laughs> no, no. That actually happened to me another time um, later on when I worked with uh, really pretty challenging kids, kids who had severe emotional and behavioral problems. This was in a lab school at UCLA. Um, and they were, most of them had been kicked out of the Los Angeles school district, which and it was almost impossible to get yourself kicked out of. I was just there. about to say that's got to be pretty challenging. So these yeah. kids must have really been having a hard time. Yeah, they were hardcore kids. Um, but I worked on building relationships with them. And Rebecca, I remember one time we were having a conversation about you know how to work with teenagers. And I've kind of said mm-hmm. I think the key is building a relationship. And yeah. You said no, you can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't have build a relationship with teenagers, which in a way is kind of true. Um, but I did that, and then the kids just showed up every day. There were kids who had not gone to school before. There were homeless kids, people living under the pier in Venice, and they just were there every every day. And they actually tried. And I had a lot of UCLA students. It was on the UCLA campus, kind of helping as aides. Um, in the class, which they were either getting credit or getting paid for. So I organized all these kind of individualized curriculum for the kids and whatever. But the key thing to me was trying to build some connection between their lives and what what education, what learning something could actually do for them. Mm. Um, So it was kind of like, in a way, some some similarities with that elementary school. but you, to make that work, you actually have to know a lot about how to teach the course content and so on. Sure. So I 
And each kid's them. different, you know, and how yes. they yeah. try and relate to them too. Mm-hmm. Well, mean, it, building ahead. that rapport and trying to have a relationship and then relate the, con- you know, get yeah. them the information, get them, get them excited or. Yeah, get them excited, right. get them invested. Right. right. And uh, well, that's exactly right. That's sort of the key thing. And also, you know, some of them were also working with counselors and psychologists who kind of were into the mode of helping them feel they were victimized in their lives, which they really were. Sure. They were victims of their environment. Versus like empowering them. Exactly. So, you know, my my take working with them was you could move forward from where you are and mm, I can help show you how to do it. But um but you have to take the responsibility for it. You have to want to do it. Yeah. And, and, and I'd work through on them. Well, so what, what are your goals? I mean, a lot of them just said we want to be pro basketball players or something, even though they never played on a team in their lives. Sure. So it was kind of like, what are your backup goals? Yeah, what's the, <laughs> okay, what's number two? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe we can, we can work with, with that. So, yeah, I, I did that for a while, met a guy who wanted to invest some money in starting a computer education company, which is sort of a long story in itself. So maybe I'll just bypass that except to say this was at a time when nobody had computers at home. So we set up these little centers. You just had a birthday, right? Yes. Yes. But I mean, hey, you know, as we get older, we get we get younger, really. We in some ways. Well, I know you do, David. I'll take the (laughs) part. I was using when I was working out with somebody on Monday, I was saying, well, I can't do the same things today that I did last week because I was only 76 then, but now I'm 77. So, you know, so, you know, things have changed. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, that's kind of how I got started. And then I ended up realizing, I don't know enough about how people learn and how to fix it and all that. So I started working on a cognitive science PhD at UCLA and then basically ended up working in cognitive science research in one way or another, sometimes in just helping people, sometimes doing research, sometimes helping people understand how to apply it right. um, to develop new and better courses and so on. And then right now I'm just really working as a consultant, not full time for anything. And, you know, that was, it was like anything in life. You can't, it's really hard to fix education yeah, in the United I States. Know. A whole bunch of things have to happen. There are too many things going wrong. And eventually, the you know, what I had to tell myself, well, I helped some students, a lot of students. I helped a lot of teachers. Yeah. And so there were these small victories, yeah. even though I wouldn't say now education is better than it was when I started out trying to do this. But you know but what? I, I mean, things have changed so much. Well, though. yeah, there's yeah. the technology changed. and everything. But yeah. But in general, like even just changing one kid's perspective of education and helping I mean like that makes a huge difference you know because people affect people so I mean and I know you affected more than just one kid and one teacher it's just what you've done it's nothing to foo-foo about like it's it's a big deal and and I think it's so cool that what you what you've done you know with your life is just helping people um in the way that you do well, thanks. That's how I console myself and, you know, tell myself <laughs> I haven't totally wasted my oh, no, entire no, life. Oh, no, not but at all. But another man. thing that, you know, uh, that I'm happy about is um, when I was working at the university and then with some big companies, I trained a lot of people 
um, to kind of know how to do what I did. And um, so probably about 15 or 20 people just got new careers. Wow. Some of them went off and became consultants by themselves. And, you know, so that's a good thing, too, that I helped some people kind of find what they wanted to do in life and then man, and then do it successfully. Right. Wow. Very cool. Super cool uh, background. I mean, we've spent a lot of time together. How How long? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, which you don't, David and I, <laughs> David and I, uh, we met, what, has it been six months or more? I think more. Maybe I was trying eight, to figure this out. Uh, close to, maybe more than eight even. Um, we'll say eight to ten. Uh, eight to ten, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, we've been, we've been working together for about eight to ten months doing personal training and uh, integrated reflexology. We started doing trainings like twice a week, and then we added in the reflexology once a week. So I was spending, you know more time with David than I spend with my family. Um, well, my, my family. Time wise, wisely spent time. time wise. Um, and just through that, just really, uh, just, you know, David's just become a good friend and um, just someone I really enjoy being around. And his attitude um, is just, it's just super empowering because when he came to me, he, you know, he told me, Hey, I have prostate cancer. And I was like, really, I can't tell you look great. <laughs> I mean, my vision of when I see people with cancer is like sickly in bed. That's what I think. But again, like people are living their lives with cancer and sometimes you just never know. Um, yeah. So I'm looking at David and I'm going, really tell me more. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you, you were diagnosed with cancer in the fall of 2021. Can you just kind of walk us through, you know, the journey and we'll yeah. just kind of go from there. Yeah. And this happened, let's see, I'm trying to remember that was probably after the pandemic started. Yeah. 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 The, 2021. Lockdown. So yeah, yeah, it's, you know, just picking up where I wasn't talking about, you know, my career. Right. When I finally got to retire and then I thought I could work on my own stuff, more writing, um, traveling around, all the stuff I like to do with my wife to travel around, go mm. to concerts, um, theater, hike around, all the, all the things we really would like to do. We just stopped doing the, during the pandemic. So I retire and now we can do nothing because we can't go anywhere. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, the cancer kicks in at some point and that ruins a bunch of other things. But yeah, it just came out of the blue. I probably, I had started about five years before that to go to a doctor every year. For most of my life, I just never went to a doctor. Like for 40 years, I might have seen a Sounds doctor. Sounds like once. a guy thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I fine. Think, I, guess it, <laughs> I guess so. And then it became the main thing I did in my life yeah. for a while yeah. was go to medical appointments. And uh, of all different kinds, I you know ended up being referred to all sorts of different experts as I went along. Because the first thing was just a blood test. I'm giving a score called the PSA, which is the indicator of some something that gets produced by prostate cancer. Right. And um, that number had gone up quite a bit from one year to another. Uh, and it probably should have been diagnosed earlier. I had been getting tests all along. Hmm. But my UCLA doctor just missed that because by the time it got diagnosed, it was pretty far advanced. Oh, and yeah, you said it's pretty aggressive. In, yeah, it's a very aggressive kind of cancer, and um, that it's already spread outside the prostate. And that's a lot worse if it's, you know, even if it's aggressive, but it's still in the prostate, the treatments are easier. Um, right. But I, I couldn't get easy treatments. I had to have two years of drugs, 
-hmm. and then um, some radiation treatments in addition to that. And those worked. They pushed. Well, basically, what the drugs do is um, suppress testosterone, which right. feeds prostate cancer. So they did that um, and ended up with, after two years of that, basically no testosterone and the PSA score was undetectable. Wow. But the cost for that was, mm -hmm. you know, dealing with all the side effects of the drugs, which were, you know, extreme fatigue, um, brain fog. My memory became terrible. Um, although one <laughs> neuropsychiatric person who did some testing for him, he said, well, uh, you know, your intelligence, your problem solving, that's all on the top of the scale, but your memory is only about average. And I was thinking, my memory is horrible. Is huh? this what the average person has to live with? Oh my this God. kind of a memory. Um, yeah, and, and. You're a genius. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know what the thing is. I, I'm so, I. I don't know at this point whether I will get testosterone back because I, th I think that's what's even affecting my memory. Um, and then whew, I would get depressed, you know, pretty regularly, which never really happened. Um, and th but the worst time was really in the beginning before I knew exactly what it was and I was having this series of tests and it was just like high anxiety all the time. And it was this kind of like physical anxiety it wasn't just like my whole body would just feel stressed, stressed out and I couldn't get out of that. I couldn't, you know, do yeah. stuff that I would usually do, breathe well, deeply, do meditation. Well, the, exercise. the lack of testosterone in the body, it I mean, I could only imagine just the the loss of motivation and, and desire like to move. And yeah. that's one thing that you said, you know, when you came to see me, you said, you know, it's really easy for me to be seated and feel so tired that I don't want to get up. But I know once I get up and I move, I'll feel better. But you yeah. have to get yourself to do that. And so the fact yeah. that you were coming to see me two, three times a week, whether it was for exercise, reflexology, both, um, it just shows that you really wanted to you know, do the best you could to keep your body healthy, active, as strong as possible. Um, and, and, you know, with physical activity and, and even the reflexology, like it's good for your mental health. It's good for mm -hmm. your emotional health. Cause sometimes you'd walk in and you'd be like, Oh, you know, I feel, I feel what I feel. I feel fine. You know, but then by the time we we're done, you're like, I feel better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, mm -hmm. I really was just doing it for the fun conversations. Oh, you know, we do have good conversations. We laugh a lot, which is also very healing. Yeah. And but all those things that you mentioned are, are right. And, uh, you know, I had doctors trying to scare me into, you know, doing some kind of exercise at least two or three times a week. That's why I, I thought I would be better off going to someone who really knew what they were doing like you. Right. Yeah. Um, because the drugs, uh, the, the, having no testosterone causes muscle mass loss, uh, loss yep. of muscle mass. And mm -hmm. so you lose strength and you gain weight and basically fall apart. You know, your and blood your pressure goes up. And... Yeah, my balance is terrible still. It's a but, lot better. It's a lot yeah, better. It's, got, it's gotten better. Um, but yeah, I mean, but just one other kind of feeling that comes over you when you get this, this is happening to me is, you know, why am I getting this? It's, this is a kind of cancer that's pretty benign for a lot of people. 
Yeah. You can just kind of watch it and maybe it never develops into anything. So how did I end up getting this highly aggressive kind? Yeah. Um, and, but then I, you know, I kept running at other people when I started going to support groups who had even worse mm. types of prostate cancer. Um, some of them were basically spending most of their days in bed because of, they were taking heavy, really heavy duty chemo, stronger than what I was taking. Right. Um, and those, it just amazed me how upbeat and optimistic those people were about their lives. I mean, they were like an inspiration to me too. I could, I could do some of the things you were talking about, um, Rebecca, but they were dealing with, you know, even much worse situations. To right. me. So, you know, the support groups were a tremendous help to me too. Um, also getting good information because I happened to be in a group, a Zoom group, um, where right. all of the people were going to major cancer centers. They were all really smart people who did research, studied, found out all sorts of things yeah. that I didn't know. And so that was a huge help. Which, That's so great. Yeah. yeah the support I, groups are real. Like, yeah. They're not just for, you know, consoling, but they're for, for right. learning, encouraging, right. building up. Education. Mm-hmm. And I think they have them for a lot of different kinds of cancer. I haven't, I know they have them for breast cancer, like this group in Newhall. Right. Um, but they should have them for every kind of cancer. For sure. But yeah, it's, it's again, it's just, um, yeah. to me, it wasn't, uh, it was not so much that even that um, I like to tell my story or whatever, which I did and got lots of help from that. But after a while, I was actually able to start helping other people. Mm. And that was the most rewarding thing. And really kind of one of the things that helped me get through it all was being part of this kind of fellowship of people trying to do this and actually being one of the people who could help other people. Yeah, that's got to feel good. Yeah, it did. It did. So that, uh, you know, I got off the drugs a couple of weeks ago. Um, yes, yes. So yeah. I'm actually curious because I don't, you know, I don't know a whole lot about you. I've heard good things as well, David, oh, <laughs> from my sister. But a plus. Where? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big old A plus. Um, <laughs> Um, but like, where are you currently in the process um, with everything? So yeah, I'm. I stopped on the three drugs I was taking, um, but one of them stays in your system for up to a year. So I will still be feeling the effects of that. Um, maybe as long as a year, hopefully shorter. Okay. And then it's not certain that I'll get testosterone back so that's going to lead to a big question that a lot of people are having now is if your testosterone doesn't come back right should you should you and can you take supplements or or take um, what is it l-arginine or something which um supports the growth of testosterone yeah and a lot of doctors don't want to do don't want you to do that so this is this will be at least a year before we know what's going to happen yeah, to me. Like, yeah. Um, so, the- yeah. So if you have, cause I don't, I actually don't know a whole lot about prostate cancer, Yeah. but everything you've gone through, what you're saying or what the doctors are saying is you can't have any testosterone back into your system. Well, that's the ideals for them, but some people will get it back naturally. Okay. Um, 
for people who had the tr same treatment I had, only about 25% actually get back to a normal level of testosterone, but, but they do. And then doctors don't tell them, okay, well, we have to get rid of that testosterone. They mm -hmm. kind of feel like if it comes back naturally, you're okay. Right. okay. But if it doesn't come that back you naturally, don't we, don't, add it. Yeah, okay. we don't want to give you any, <laughs> uh, which doesn't make sense to everybody, including right now me. But Yeah, because they're afraid, they're yeah. afraid that the cancer would come back. And yes, um, which could happen with testosterone you get naturally, but it might be something like they would be the ones who would have to prescribe the testosterone, mm -hmm. although I could go around other doctors and find somebody, but they don't want to do that because then if the They're cancer be at comes, risk. exactly, mm -hmm. they would be kind of partly responsible if cancer comes back. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm, uh, so somewhere along the line, I sort of got a, um, therapist who was just going to test me for brain deficiencies, but Jen has been talking to me once a month. And that's been a big, been a big help too. And she's kind of recommended that I find like a weekly person, which I think probably a lot of people don't think of, but need when they have cancer and probably their families need it too. Um, just to help you because your, your mind just goes crazy. And I, it's not just mine. It's everybody in the support group I'm in. Right. talks about how like when they see a new test result or whatever their their anxiety and the depression and all that just sort of takes off and they they can't control it yeah so but it's helped me to talk to another person about that and she's kind of helping me reframe how to think about that you know mm. how to not think about the worst things that can <laughs> happen mm -hmm. yeah every time well, so now we have this uh thing called google and you can just yeah. sit there and uh, <laughs> dig and dig and and then all, all right. of a sudden it's like you're you're dying of everything in the world. <laughs> yeah, you can find <laughs> a million things to worry about. Like we all need that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, you can look up any little symptom you have and uh -huh. find out a hundred ways you're, you're going to die. Dying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're exactly. Probably dying. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I have a little red spot on my arm. Yeah. No. Basically. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you just don't want to do that. But that's so great that you see, I just, that's one reason I wanted you on the show is because, you know, it's, it's hard to motivate yourself to do the things that are good for you anyway. Just, right. you know, people struggle with taking care of themselves physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, just in a day to day world. And then you throw cancer on top mm -hmm. of that. And then it's just like, I mean, I, I feel like I don't want to say most people, but I would say a higher percent of people probably just shut down, um, yeah. you know, become to have depression and don't do all the thing, all the steps because it takes so much effort. Yeah. It takes so much willpower and mind power. And I mean, I personally I know I've had people in my life that have had um, diabetes or cancer that were like, oh, that's it. I'm done. And they do nothing about it and they die. Yeah. Yeah. And they have families, they have kids, they have spouses. And not that it's like, I don't want to say like they're being selfish because I thank God, you know, like I've never had to deal with cancer personally or, or any type of illness of that sort. But I would like to believe that if there's any possibility of me healing and getting better and having this, this life and living it to the best of my ability that I would try to find that motivation to to keep going yeah it's a it's a great point and just true for so many people um in fact on, in the 
support group. I mean, there's about 40 people in the group, but only about 20 to 25 show at each, at each meeting. But there are also sometimes women who go on um, because their husband doesn't want to do anything about his prostate cancer. He's not trying to find anything out. And so they're having to cope with it, which would be That's a horrible situation. I mean, I feel really sorry for yeah. them. Yeah. Because even if they find out things, they can't necessarily get their husbands to do mm, them. So, right. and I mean, it is a disease that can kill you. It's pretty treatable. You have to be treated for the rest of your life, but if you don't do anything, yeah. you, you yeah. may die. And my brother was like that. He died of lung cancer. He was a heavy smoker mm. and he started to feel bad. Um, I forget when, when he by his late forties or something and just did nothing. It's like he was in denial and didn't do anything That's about what it. That's it is, denial. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. hard to accept that your life is going to be forever changed. It is, yeah. You just don't want to admit it. And you don't right. want to, I mean, it's hard to stop smoking, and he just didn't want to do it. But so he died from that. Um, mm. And he didn't really tell any of us that he was seriously ill because he just didn't want to believe it. So that's a sad thing, too, not to tell your parents or friends who might be able to help you with yeah. it. Um, or because our lives have to go on, too, you know, and oh, I think right. that's the hard part. Like you were saying that even though um, going through this, you know, journey of cancer, it was hard on it's been hard on you. It, it was hard from the beginning. It's still hard. But you said it you felt like it was even harder for your wife. Yeah, for I think Colleen. it was. Yeah, because she. Um, well, I mean, she was just tremendously optimistic and positive all the time. And that was a huge help in itself. For but sure. she couldn't do anything directly about the cancer. I, you know, mm -hmm. I had to do that. So I, I always feel yeah. better if other people are sick that, you know, if there's something <laughs> I can do to help. But if, if I can't, like it's a helpless for, situation. It is. You feel terrible. I, I think I would feel worse. If she were really sick or my yeah, daughter were yeah, really sick, then I felt about myself. Yeah, it's a I bad know. feeling. It's a yeah. really bad feeling. Like you want to take all that pain from them and Yeah. But you, you can pray for them, which right. actually for me was something that helped too. I you know, I prayed for myself, but I felt better when Rebecca was praying for me and I felt better <laughs> praying for other people. Yeah. You know, praying for the other cancer people There's or power. just There's so much power in prayer, especially like when you're with somebody, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's power. But I would just pray for I felt better than, you know, I could pray for myself, but I felt better if I just like prayed for all the people suffering in the world or all mm. the people I knew who That's a I, I don't I'm not sure why that is, but it was a big, you, you know, big help to me. It's it's funny you mention that because um, our mom, when she was going through her battle, and although it was short, it was just it was, it was just so heavy because it was mm -hmm. just so aggressive, and yeah. she she couldn't just walk around and go and, and live her life like she was like, she was down. But she had this journal that I made for her, and I gave it to her the first time I saw her when she was in the hospital. And I didn't know what she would do with it. I just knew she liked to journal. Like, she liked to write. Like, she was a note taker, like like Rachel and I. Like, mm -hmm. we got notes everywhere. Like, you know, we write, and <laughs> my mom was the same. So I made this journal for her, and um, we still have it. I've read it a few times. But she journaled her entire um, time during cancer. And in most of the journal, she is praying for people. She is yeah. sharing about 
like just talking about people and loving people and praying for people and asking God to come in and bless them. Yep. And that was like, that was her thing. It was never about her and her pain. Mm, yeah. She might have a little blurb like, yep, today's Groundhog Day, you know, and, <laughs> and it's like, now it's about somebody else. So, right, yeah, Rachel? It would, yeah, she would always, she would just be like, today's not a great day, but, and then she'd go on to all the other things. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, thinking about other people and praying for them takes your mind off yourself for a while. Yeah. And with cancer, you, you know, as I'm saying, I don't, I don't know about your mom. She might have been stronger minded than I was, but your mind just tends to go all over the place worrying about everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when you become a cancer person, and you're like a different person from how you were before. You just, your, your mind is so affected by the drugs and other stuff that you just can't think the way that you, you used to. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. You're just not yourself. So, well, no, you're exactly. definitely not so yourself. You, you have to find new ways to be a new person, basically. And mm. I'm still trying to figure that out. Gosh, you're doing, you're doing such a great job though. Like I'm just always inspired every time I see you and hear from you. And, um, you know, I'm just so glad that you're on the other side of this really, you know, you're, you're getting off of the, the meds and we know that, you know, that'll take some time, but yeah. you know, you also just recently joined a gym and so you're yeah, doing yeah. classes. Yes. And this, <laughs> by the way, I, you know, I was never a gym person. Um, in my life. So that's one of the ways I'm a different person. There are I mean, a lot of, in a lot of good ways, I've become different, just more willing to try stuff than I never would have done before. Yeah. And, you know, having a personal trainer, I never would have, first of all, I didn't even know they existed. In fact, <laughs> now that I think about it, you know, I'm I, not real. You know, <laughs> I kind of know that you can't be, you can't actually be real the way you are. I know. Um, I know. <laughs> But actually, I didn't, uh, and a lot of other guys have said this too. At the time I got diagnosed, I kind of knew that I had a prostate, but I had no idea where it was, what it did, how big it was. I probably would have guessed it's like the size of a grapefruit or something, but it's actually like a walnut. Size. I was going to say, I think it's a little smaller than that. I was right, like, that's yeah. massive. Right, yeah. Let's hope it's not that big. <laughs> exactly. No, but I totally get it. Like, you didn't know much about it. Right. And yeah. now I know way too much about it, about right. the, prost every, the prostate and what goes wrong with it and mm. all that. But anyway, you know, again, to for me anyway, and I think for other people, some other people have mentioned this. Somehow, if you can connect yourself with other people, praying, volunteering to help, it just gets you out of that mode of worrying about your own problems that much, which I think would help anybody who's worried yeah. about their own lives. Yeah, exactly. It's true. That fear, that anxiety, the unknown, the questions, you know, the doubt, um, yeah. all that tends to kind of just go away when you're serving others. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you'll go downtown Los Angeles and, you know, help pass, you know, serve people food or something. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, even when you're in a really bad situation or you're in a or bad circumstances, there's always somebody going through something worse. Yes. You know? Yeah. There are always other people you could help. And that's the hard part is like when you're in it and it, and it it's so dark and you're just, it's, it's so heavy. You can't, it's so hard to see anything else. Right. But that's, and, and I, I think my sister has told me this and other people, and even I understand this myself clearly, but it's so important in those moments to do something outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's, but, but it's so 
hard, but when you do it, it's healing and it's helping others. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, it's healing is a great, a great thing, a way to say it. Um, and you, we have to, well, I don't know. I just, I just know it makes me feel good. If other people may not realize they may have to go out and try it because it's, it's you like getting, to. getting up from the yeah. couch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Getting <laughs> it didn't, up, it didn't, you know. going to the gym yeah. or, you know, that I, I always put this phrase like, well, at least for me, I hate getting in the pool because I'm, I get cold really, really, like I get our, cold. All the our time. feet and our hands are like, I just David, can't you know stand this. It. They're cold. <laughs> yeah. They're, so they're, imagine they're cold people. putting your whole body. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know about Rachel's, but. Hers is worse oh. than mine. Mine's oh, mine worse. <laughs> so like me trying to get into a cold pool for a workout. Yeah. I'm like, that, that is one of the hardest things for me to do. But yeah. it, it, it's Once like you get best, in. Oh my gosh. It is the best workout. I feel yeah. so good. My yeah. body feels good. You know, it's good thinking time. You know, it's good for but you. But it's so hard to do. Yeah. But you just got to get yourself you to do it. do it. So, oh, you know, this leads me into a question for you, David. So um, during the time of cancer, um, what outside of the support group that you were in, like, did you have a support group at home other than Colleen? Um, like, what was the home life like during cancer? Well... There was my, my daughter. Colleen was the biggest support, my wife. Um, but there were other family members that I talked to pretty regularly. And that it was a big novelty in our family. Um, and when my parents passed away, we barely knew either one of them were sick. They just would never tell us anything. Oh. And they, you know, went to the hospital and suddenly died. That's what happened to my brother, the guy I was mentioning before. Oh, goodness. And my sister got really sick, got pneumonia, and died in Florida. Oh. But we we didn't know about that until after she had died. So it's now I was talking to my niece and nephew, and they were saying, "We're really happy you're." They've been a good big support supports to me too, because we've been when the pandemic started, we started having weekly family um, Zoom meetings. So some, once in a while, I'll tell them what's going on and just, you know, just update them. them involved. In the, yeah. Yeah. In the conversation. Important. So, yeah, it's all those things. And, I, I, you know, I don't know if people think of their doctors as their support, but but I do. Some of them were really empathetic and mm. really helpful and they're working in pretty terrible conditions. I, you know, I could see the stress they're under right. and they get so happy with if you're nice to them, this is something I would recommend too. I know, you know, when you go to the doctor, you're fearful, you might feel terrible and whatever. Um, so that's what doctors experience most of the time. And um, one time I was thanking a nurse and a doctor who worked together for everything they had done for me. And they said, well, we, we, we love to help you because you're so kind to us all the time. <laughs> and, and I really hadn't, you know, it was just basic politeness. I don't think sure. of myself as that kind of a person, but um, but that's so person. unusual to them. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to let you know. Sorry. You could, let's go on that theme for about 20 minutes. <laughs> okay, so, no. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I know a lot of people are just afraid of the doctors, you know. Yeah. They, they hate going, and maybe they just need to get different doctors. I don't know. I, I have had experiences with doctors. I know you've had a few um, that you weren't happy with, but, you know, you find you have to keep Try until you find the right doctor for you, you know? Right, mm -hmm. right. I spent a, it takes a lot of time, though. And it's hard to do. I mean, this is another theme. I'm, I've been take, writing sort of a journal, like you were mentioning earlier. 
about my experiences, but sort of the theme is how terrible, how difficult the healthcare system is to deal with. Yeah. And it's not, it's not designed to make things easy for patients. Communications are not good. And well, every, I mean, we could spend a long time just talking about that, but um, yeah. Yeah, that's another thing I'm thinking, yeah, you know, it'd be nice to write something that might help do something about this problem because, right. you know, I can read complicated stuff. I'm, you know, well-educated and all that, but a lot of other people aren't and they, they don't, they're not aggressive enough to get themselves good healthcare, which you kind of have to do. Yeah, you're right. There's not enough uh, education on that for sure. Yeah. And then also, like you said, like people like, People are afraid of the doctor. People, you know, have had bad experiences. People don't know what questions to ask. Right. Um, unless you're very, like, you have to be a curious person to, like, really get the answers you need. Yeah, I'm willing and not to everyone's put the curious. time in. Yeah. yeah. No, they're, well, they, I, I know people who just want their doctor to tell them what they're going to do, and then they'll just do it. And I wasn't like that. And, and actually, none of the people in the, cancel support group are like that either. We, we kind of want to know why and what are the options, you know, and are there side effects of this treatment and a bunch of things like that. But some people just don't feel comfortable having that kind of conversation with their doctors. Yeah, I get it. Well, you've just had such a, such a wild ride. I mean, <laughs> really. And then I just, I just want to thank you for just being in my life and being open to being on this podcast. Um, I'm curious though. I remember you told me you were writing a book and um, when is this book going to be done? Cause I'm going to want to, well, I'm working it. on, I'm working on two. I'm probably going to do on the one that's on why people believe what they believe. I've got tons of notes and I'm actually working with, um, a couple of co-authors that I recruited just to make sure I keep moving on. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm working with other, I just like working with other people. Basically. To hold accountable. So I'm, I'm going to write um, kind of a newspaper editorial first about these ideas. I don't know if you, nobody reads newspapers anymore, but if you look at the What's New York Times. What's a newspaper? Times, no. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's this crazy thing that used to be on paper. What? That people would, paper people read. Would, people <laughs> would get it at home. Some some guy would fold up. Is it audible? And... Is it on the audible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know that's, you know, out of your realm of experience, but you know, in the online things, you'll see that every newspaper now has tons of editorials about all sorts of different things. People yeah. are spouting off on their opinion. And everything. So I'll probably write something like that first to see okay. what reaction there is. That's a good and idea. And then maybe in a year, the writing will be done with these other people. Okay. And then the um, it'll take me longer. I've been writing down all the stories of things, crazy things that have happened to me when I'm trying to get health care, right. <laughs> dealing with doctors, and all, you know, at the at the doctor level, um, things are things are pretty good. I think I have really good doctors now, but all the administrative stuff, like trying to find out anything about your procedures or when something's going to happen, or you know all the stuff that I would call kind of logistical and administrative is, is really difficult. Um, yeah. and, and I'm at UCLA, which is, you know, supposed to be one of the best um, medical yeah. systems in the country. Right. Uh, so other places are much worse. And it's one reason why um, a lot of people just like to go to somewhere like Kaiser where you don't have to make any decisions. They That's just, me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, don't care I, what doctor you, I have, just make sure I get in. <laughs> 
there you go. <laughs> but I mean, um, I mean, I'm yeah. But, like I think like things will change as I you know get older. I'm gonna want to probably have a primary that I get to know, especially like you know when when I have you know the, a kid you know and ha have that doctor pediatrician. Like I'm sure forming those yeah. relationships are super important. Really important. Yeah, and if you got you know happen to run into somebody that you hate, then you might change it. But I would say it's more important when you've got something serious that's going to be done to you. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. if some doctor proposes, um, well, in the case of prostate cancer, to take your prostate out, which a lot of people, you want to get second opinions about things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, you know, for, for more, you know, setting a broken bone or something, you probably don't need to get 10 opinions <laughs> to do right, that. But, right. um, but I also, I've, you know, I've also found out that there's a huge amount of judgment in dealing with something like prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. You can talk to five radiation oncologists and get, which I did, get completely different opinions about what to do. Oh, mm -hmm. um, but what that says is uh, you shouldn't just go with what one doctor says because you might, somebody else might say something totally different and then you got to figure out how do I decide between these? Right, right. right. <clears throat> yep. That's, that's really, that's important. And that's good yeah. stuff. I look yeah. forward to reading. Whatever you have out first. <laughs> yeah, keep us okay. posted. I will definitely do that. Well, this is fun, and uh, I know I'm going to be seeing you on Friday. I'm going to be rubbing your feet. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, and with my cold hands on your ears. <laughs> or thing. I always forget. I need to, like, put my hands in hot water before I touch his ears. He's always like, ooh. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't worry, don't warm up fast. <laughs> it's, like, initially surprising, but, up, you know. It feels, impressive. Pretty quick. feels okay after a while, yeah. You know, like yeah. rubbing ice on his ears. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you can get there. used to that. Well, people take, you know, people take, like, ice baths. I don't know how oh, they yeah. stand it. Yeah. That? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, especially, like, during, like, if you're training for training for a lot of hours. Long endurance. Like oh, yeah. 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 Then it's the best. Or if oh. you live, I used to live close to Korea. Like, your body so. just goes numb <laughs> after, after, like, two yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, two minutes. Just give yourself like 30 seconds to two minutes and then you don't feel anything. Again, again, <laughs> you have to just get yourself to do it. Yeah. And yeah. once you do it, you realize <laughs> oh, this isn't yeah. so bad. <laughs> well, since I'm not training that hard, maybe just cold, cold hands on my ears would be. There enough, you so. go. <laughs> we'll stick with that for now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, David. And um, hey, you'll have to meet Rachel when she comes out to visit me for our birthday. Well, that would be so nice. Yeah, yeah. That's coming up pretty soon. Put a that's face right. to the voice. That would be it looks pretty similar to the face you already yeah. see. But yeah, the hair is well, a little different. Yeah, that's I've got any idea of the hair. But now your color is getting closer to hers, right? Yeah, I'm white. Just the roots. So, oh, oh, you're, oh my you're hair, skin my skin. No, 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 your, your, your hair color. <laughs> yes, my hair color. I know. It's, yeah. She's like, yes, I am pale. I am pale <laughs> and my hair desperately needs help. <laughs> So you're fine. We'll right, look we'll more pray. like twins. We'll pray for your hair. Thank you. Please do. Please do. Okay. All right, David. Thank um, you so much. Well, it was yeah, great. Then, really fun. Thanks for the time. Absolutely. And I'm just gonna throw a reminder okay. of April. Or yes, no, sorry. No, my March. gosh. March. March. March first, if you're listening to this, is our next it's a one day event. And so you're going to pick your own race, 5, 10K, 10-miler, 10 or half marathon. I'm going to put a plan together for you, 5 and 10Kers. Yes. So be looking for that in February. So you can jump in and start doing your training. And nothing crazy. Just come out, have fun. 
And that'll be our next event, so March 1st. March 1st, but we'll be um, doing our fundraiser the first two weeks before March 1st. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're halfway, we're, and I mean, David, I know you've been, I've been telling you all about the Stride Project, but uh, we're about halfway, almost halfway to our fundraising goal. And mm -hmm. we still, we're about halfway through the, uh, the, uh, the challenge. So for those of you, it's still not too late, still not too late to sign mm -hmm. up and help fundraise. And it's still not too late to donate um, and just share, you know, our mission and, uh, the, our sponsored family. I know they'd really appreciate it. And we're just really excited to uh, be doing this. Yeah, I should talk to you about this one on Friday when I come in. Let's do I it. I think one of, one of the great things I like about this, because you know, I now know quite a few different people raising money for cancer, but what I like about the Stride Project is how you've kind of um, focused on one or two, you know, actual people yeah. that are going to be helped by your project. It's not just, you know, put your money in some abstract thing to cure malaria or whatever. Yeah, you're actually research. Helping. It's personal. Yeah, yeah, you're helping specific people, which is great. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Very personal. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was really nice meeting you, David. I oh, will maybe see you uh, when we're out, which is pretty soon. I hope so. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to stay tuned for the next podcast. You can find out more at thestrideproject.org.